One of the things that so often happens in our life is that uh, we read Scripture, and when we read it, we begin to see things that we're going like, wow, that was cool. I wonder if we, we could be like that. Um, last week, Chris began this series, Overflow, talking about the whole thing of the Holy Spirit and how it came into our lives, and particularly at Pentecost and Acts, how it came into the early church, and some amazing things began to happen. At the end of chapter 2, I've heard this so many times and I've read this so many times, we read that at the end of chapter 2 of of, uh, of Acts and verses 42 and following, we read about the early church. We read these words, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling all possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We read those words. And we're going like, wow, what an incredible church. Wouldn't it be cool to be a part of a church like that? And we get all psyched and we're going like, like, like it couldn't be possible today. Because those people, you know, just the Pentecost had just happened. The Holy Spirit had just come into their lives. And all of a sudden, you know, they had this power source that, that gave them the ability to do something that was beyond themselves. Wouldn't it be great to have a church like that? And you're going, well, you know, the people that led that church, maybe it was because the people that led that church were the apostles. And the apostles are the ones who walked side by side uh, with Jesus. They, they had a daily communion with Jesus over a number of, you know, two to three years there in their life. And maybe that was the reason that they were so uh, enabled to do this kind of, have this kind of relationship in this kind of a church. But really, Jesus himself said it was, it says in John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth, that it is better for you that I go away, that Jesus goes away. You know, going like, the apostles were going like, N- you go away? No, that's not good. He said, the reason it's, it's more important that I go away is that when I go away, I will send a helper to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And if I do go away, the helper, if I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I do go away, he'll come. See, Jesus, while he was here upon this earth, he was God in human form, but he was only in one location at one time. And when the Holy Spirit came into his, their lives, he could be everywhere in believers, not just beside believers. The problem is so often when we read those words, we're going like, well, yeah, that was for those early church people. That was for people like Peter and, and Paul and Mary. That's not the group, you know. It's... Uh, <clears throat> It's for those people that were in, in, in the early church. But the problem is so often, now I gotta go over here and get something. I forgot something over here. It's, it's really out right here on the stage, so I'm gonna go for it too far. But so often what happens is in life is, uh, we kinda like think that, well, the Holy Spirit's something that comes into certain people's lives, but, uh, it, it comes into our lives, but really, you know, it's like a power source. You plug into it, whatever. It's kinda like we think the Holy Spirit sometimes is kinda like, you know, this spring, it's spring now, right? Even though it doesn't look like spring outside, it's spring. It was spring for like three days, and then it went away. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that it, it's one of the things you guys will do is you'll pull out your, your hoses. Uh, maybe you've not done this yet. I haven't done it yet in my house because I knew this is March. This is still Illinois. And, and the thing is, is that you pull out your hoses, and one of the things you'll do is you'll plug it in. You'll plug it. Uh, you'll put it in. You'll take it, and you'll, and you'll hook, hook it into the thing. You'll turn it on, and some of you will have a problem. The water won't come out. Is the problem with the source? 
No, you'll discover something. You'll discover because it's been sitting there all week, winter. It's kinked somewhere along the way. And because of that kink in the holes, the, the, the water won't flow through. It's, it's in there. It's, it, it's, it's ready to do something. But the issue is there's this kink in that hose, and the only way that you can use the hose and it can, you know, it can use as it's supposed to be used is unkink the hose and let the hose be the conduit, and you've got to fix it right there, the conduit through which the water flows. The problem is not with the power source. Jesus says to us in Scripture over and over again, and we're going to talk about something over the next few weeks that totally freaks some of you out. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because in the, in, in, in the evangelical church, and I have to admit this myself, in the evangelical church, sometimes we've been afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you why. Let me tell you why. It's because we see the excesses. We, we begin to, in a real sense, what we do is we begin to look at the Holy Spirit and a lot of very conservative, which we consider ourselves conservative evangelicals here at Great Oaks. The thing is, is that we see the Holy Spirit in Scripture, but we're not really sure how it works because the issue is, is that it goes beyond our experience sometimes because as Chris talked about last week, God wants us to live a life that's unimaginable. It's beyond our comprehension sometimes. It's, it, it enables God working in our life through the Holy Spirit. enables us to do things we've never been able to do. But so often what that goes, it leads to excesses on the other end. It's not that we want to... The other end is that we have, we've seen churches, we've seen people who focus upon the Holy Spirit so much they began to do things that are outside of the Bible. And they claim that to be parts of the works of the Holy Spirit. And they don't do what it says in Scripture, which it says, test the spirits... To make sure, and how do you test them? By scripture. Test the spirits to make sure that they really are who they, what they say they are. So often we just say, well, it's a really cool experience and we'll just kind of go that way. And so when we see those excesses, we tend to pull back. I tend to pull back. I've seen all kinds of, all kinds of divisiveness in, in the life of Christians when they miss, they abuse the concept of the Holy Spirit. And didn't look at it biblically. But what we want to do over the next few weeks is talk about this thing about how God allows us to live this unimaginable life. And the unimaginable life is this, that we can be witnesses for him. And that we can love people in a way that we cannot love in and of our own, our own power. Because it's the power of God's spirit living through us and in us that enables us to live the life he wants us to live. So we look at that, and in and, and, and Scripture, Paul in, in the Second Corinthians talks about this. He says he understands this frailty that we are. He says in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7, and uh, verse 15, he says, But we have this treasure. What's the treasure? God's Spirit living within us in jars of clay. He says we're like jars of clay. We're like this, this, this fragile thing that if you drop it, it'll break. He says we, he said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says, the reason you can live this unimaginable life, this life that God wants you to live beyond yourself, is not because of you. When the Spirit does it, it always points to God, not to us. And then in verse 15, it kind of concludes a series there. It says, all these things, all this, this surpassing power of God, not from us, when it shows up, it says, all of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. When I read that, I realize, you know, the reason so often that we 
that we are afraid of things. The reason that we have these fears, the reason that we don't always plug into God is because we have this fear. We're jars of clay. We're fragile. But God says, I want to do something in your life. I want to give you a source. And not just a source, but it's a person who lives within you, who guides and directs your life and gives you the ability to do things beyond yourself. And it's not Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit. It's part of who God is. It's part of God. I don't understand. I'm not going to try to describe the Trinity today, okay? It's way beyond me. A lot of good theologians have tried to describe it in all kind of strange ways. But I'll just say that the Holy Spirit is God. But it's God who lives in us. Now today what I want to do is I, I used all that as preface to what I want to talk about today. And if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to a passage that, that I read this again, but I read it again for the first time this week. You ever read something again for the first time? You read it and all of a sudden you're going like, I never understood that. And I'm going... What a powerful passage because of what it says. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at four verses of Scripture today that give us some some insights into into the key thing that today we're going to be talking about. And the key thing we're talking about today that's on the top of your outline is this. An overflowing life depends on a personal relationship with God. It depends on a personal relationship with God. Now, when I read Scripture today, and when I read that other passage a while ago out of 2 Corinthians, and when I read the passage out of Acts, I don't know how you perceive that. But I want you to understand something. Anytime we read Scripture, we don't read it like we read other things. We don't read it as, as a good book. I mean, I was talking to somebody, a good resource about the Holy Spirit I would recommend is Francis Chan's book called Forgotten God. I just read that on Tuesday. It took me four hours. And actually, Francis Chan read it to me. Not personally, but I had an audio book, you know, and I listened to it and read it along. It was a good exercise, and, and I went through that. And I've read the book Overflow, our, our Outflow recently that we have as, we entitled a series. There's some groups that are going through that book. There's some great resources out there that give us a real biblical understanding of what, of what it means to, to, to depend upon the Spirit. But as we read Scripture, and as we read this morning, I want you to read it, and I want you to follow along with it and think about it as authoritative. It's not opinions. It's authority. It's God's word. It's different than any other words we read. So it's not suggestions. It's how to live life. It's how, it's, when it says something, it says it with God's authority behind it, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So read along with me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to come back and read and talk about this this morning. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing, with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, when I read that passage again for the first time this week and was going through that, I noticed something in the very first verse. It says this, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Who's speaking here? Simon Peter. Simon Peter is speaking here. He says, first of all, Simon Peter introduces himself. Simon Peter, who was he? 
He was one of the 12 apostles. He was one of the 12 followers of Jesus. But not only that, he became the leader. He was the spokesman, in a sense, from the apostles. Here's a guy. This is the walk-on-water guy. Okay, remember that. Here's the guy that spoke the big sermon at Pentecost. And he says, no, I, I, first of all, he introduces himself as a servant. And secondly, he says, I'm an apostle of Christ, which means that he was one of the followers, the 12 who followed Christ along. He was not saying, he's kind of like, well, this is just something I kind of ha- kind of happened to me. He wasn't going around putting, you know, he notices first, he doesn't put apostle first and servant second. He says servant first and apostle second. He wasn't one of these people who have a title and has to, you know, if, like, for instance, if I had a doctorate or something and, and, you, and I wanted you to say, call me Dr. White. You know, if I had a doctorate, I'd make you do that. But no, but uh, but I don't. So you can't. So it, the issue is no, I wouldn't really anyway. But the issue is, is that he hadn't have his hang up with titles. He's not trying to do that. He starts off by saying that, the, first of all, I'm a servant and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. But as, this, as he says that, let me point out to you clearly who it is that's saying that. One of the twelve. The guy that walked on water. The guy that spoke at Pentecost. The guy that was imprisoned. Praise God anyway. All these things happen to him. And he says this to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. A faith of equal standing. You know what that says to me? What it says to me is this, is that we have, he's saying to us that the faith that you and I have is equal in standing before God that the faith that Peter has, that Paul has, that everybody in Scripture, the great people of faith has, it's equal in standing before God. And the reason he says that it's equal in standing is not because Peter is because we've done great things or Peter's done great things, but he says because it's ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And I can believe that passage because of what Scripture says. I can believe fully that I have equal standing before God. I have access to everything that Peter had access to. You have, as a believer in Christ, have access to everything that Peter has. And, and I have, we are all the same. We have equal standing, not because of what we've done, but because of the righteousness, what Christ did for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're getting ready in a few weeks to celebrate Easter, the cross. And what it's about is this. It's, it's on the cross that Jesus, who knew no sin, took all of our sin upon him, and in a sense, we, he's, we exchange. He took our sin. He gave to us his righteousness. A sinless righteousness. And because of what he did on the cross and our acceptance of that, what happens is, is that we have the same standing before God once we accept Christ as every other believer. It's not based on how good we are. It's based on who, and who God is and who Christ is. We have the same standing. I don't know about you. That's enough to leave and close and go home with because that's exciting. It's a promise of God. You know, that we can, we can have the same love for people. We can have the same impact on this world because of, not because of who we are, but because of our standing before God because he gives us the same Holy Spirit that Peter had.
the potential of having an Acts 2 church is not something that just happened once in history. It's for us as well. And then in verse 2 of 2 Peter chapter 1, it says this. After he says about having this equal standing before God because of the righteousness of Christ, it says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace. Remember last week Chris talked about the whole thing. If you were here, if you didn't, uh, get the DVD or, or not DVD, uh, CD. That's what it is. Or get, go online and listen to it. But he talked about how God wants us to live this unimaginable life of, of, of grace and hope and peace and all the things that God wants us to have in our life. And, and, and once again, it says, here it is again. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Those who have equal standing in Christ because of Christ's righteousness, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And what in the world does it mean? Uh, you know, what, it, what is grace and peace? What is our grace and peace tied to? What is the peace in your life tied to? I had to ask myself that question. What is it that, that makes me have grace and peace in my life? You know, is it how people respond to me? Is it things going well in my life that makes I have a peaceful life? Uh, when things are going well, when people pat me on the back or say things, or when my kids are doing well or, or whatever, is that what caught, t- tied into the grace and the peace that I have in my life? Let me ask you a question this morning. It's a kind of a hard question, but it's this. If, if a genie were to, not that there is genies, but if there was a genie, he came up to you and said, you can have one wish granted. Just one wish, what would it be? Think about it for a minute. You only get one. Okay, you just thought about your wish? I'm glad you didn't say it out loud. I'm glad I didn't say mine out loud when I first thought about this. But based upon what Scripture says, would any, did any of you think that my one wish would be, be to have greater intimacy with God? You know, if that's your wish, and if you really want grace and peace multiplied to you, if you want to live a life beyond the, beyond the stuff that happens to you day to day, you know what Scripture says? It says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know what that word knowledge means? It doesn't mean how, head knowledge. It means, it means in a sense that we have this intimate, intimate relationship with God. The more intimate you become with God, the more grace and peace, this more supernatural life that you live. Do you and I really believe that intimacy, knowing God, would lead you to greater peace and grace? Do we really believe that? Would it change the way, if we really believe that, what would it change about the way we live? I was reading this week. I don't have Twitter, okay? How many of you know what Twitter is? How many of you use Twitter? No, about two of you here, okay? Okay, let me explain for those of you who don't know what Twitter is, what Twitter is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Facebook on steroids. What it is, it's, you have this little thing, and you, what it is is you put on your on your. Most people use Twitter, uh, Twitter that tweet. What they do is they use it with uh, with with iPhones and things like that. And so what you do is like you're going to the grocery store, <laughs> Mr. Shire. I'm going to use you as an example because he said he twi- has a Twitter account. Okay, Mr. Shire is going to the grocery store, and he puts on he puts this little thing out. And he says, "I'm going to the grocery store," and he sends it out to a thousand people. And, you know, and, and, and if you're on his Twitter account, you're going, cool, Ty's going to the grocery store. That's what Twitter is. 
Did I give a good explanation to Twitter? Exactly. I mean, it's people passing along nonsensical information that nobody cares about. But once in a while, something good comes across Twitter's. Once in a while. You know, out of the millions and zillions of tweets every day, you know, something comes along. And I don't have it. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't do tweets. But I was reading about something that came from one guy who's a well-known author, John Piper. You may have heard of John Piper before. John Piper's written a lot of Christian books. Incredible. He has a Twitter account. I'm going like, John, John, John. But anyway, he said this. Now, this says something about his mindset, though. And I love this. I'm going to throw it up. Here it is. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from the lack of time. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be at the last will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Now I do have a Facebook account, and I check it once a week religiously. That's about it. I mean, I told somebody this morning, I found out yesterday that, I'm somebody, that, that somebody asked me to be their friend. And I said, I'm your friend now. Don't mean much on Facebook to me because I check it once a week, maybe on Saturday. It's about it, you know. You know, some of you, you know. But all I'm saying is this, even though, I, you know, I don't have those. When I read that, I was convicted of how I waste time. Because if I really believe that an intimate and personal relationship with God is at the center of my peace and grace, then guess what? It's not that these things are bad. It's just how do I use my time? If, if God's, if a relationship with God is at the center of the, of what God wants me to have in my life and that's this unimaginable life of peace and grace and, and if I don't nurture that relationship, that intimate relationship with God, then what's going to happen? Verse three goes on in second Peter goes on to say this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God is His divine power. God's power in our life, His Holy Spirit living in our life, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know what that says? It says that God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. God has given you everything you need, everything I need to live a godly life. Do you believe that? That's what Scripture says. So if you're not living a godly not life, whose fault is it? Your spouse. No, no. God says that I've given you all you need to live a godly life. But the problem is, once again, is God given us this power, this power source... And it's not just a power, it's a person who lives in our life who gives us the power to make godly decisions and, and overcome temptations and all those things. And he puts it into our life, but we kink the hose because first of all, we don't believe he's there. And secondly, we don't, we don't, the Bible says we can grieve the spirit in Thessalonians. It talks about grieving the spirit. It means that, that, that we do things that, that hinder the spirit from working and flowing through our life and working in our life. And God, but this, Peter's saying here, He's saying, because of your equal standing with God through the righteousness of Christ, what happens is he's given us his divine power, has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And once again, it says, and through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Once again, this whole thing of, of knowledge of him. 
I began to ask myself when I was reading this again, I'll start to ask myself some questions. Do you do this when you read scripture? It raises questions instead of always giving you answers. That's good. It's good. Because those questions need to be answered. Because I began to ask myself, you know, sometimes when I pray to God, I I pray as if God was stingy. He really doesn't want to respond in a way because he really, well, you know, God only has limited power supply. And so he got to hold on to it just in case he needs it for later. That's how we pray. That's how I pray sometimes. Like God is saying, I'm not sure I want to do that because I need to save up my power. And we talk to him as if we have to talk him into something. But I, I remember in Scripture, and I was going back and reading Scripture again, in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, However it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. So we can't even imagine what God has prepared for us. I mean, His, his mindset, what God wants to do in our lives, is greater than we can imagine. And so we pray these stingy prayers and say, God, oh, if you would do this. Like God doesn't want to do stuff for us. He says, and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I just take that verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Read that this week and ask yourself, what does that mean? God is able to make all grace abound. God has provided for us all things at all times so that we can abound, not just do it, but excel in it. In all good work. He gives us the source to do that. And so we, we continue along in the passage, going back to that Second Peter 1, 3. It says, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. It keeps going back to this knowledge of Him, this, this thing that's so important. And, and, and how do you get this divine power? How does it come into your life when you accept Christ? You have it, but how do you, uh, how do you access it? And how do you allow the God, the, the third person of God, the Holy Spirit to work in your life? It says through this knowledge, this intimate personal relationship with God. And I can't say it enough, but knowledge is not about head knowledge. It's not just about knowing him. It's not enough to know the right things about God. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to shock some of you. So just listen carefully what I say. Read my lips. The demons and Satan have good theology. You know what good theology is? It's right understanding of who God is. It's knowledge. It's just knowledge. Demons and Satan have good theology. But what we're talking about here, what what Peter is talking about here, what Scripture talks about when it talks about this knowledge of God that gives us this relationship with God, it's not about me coming into a room and telling you true things about God. That's not all there is about it. That's, That's good. That's important. But knowing him, gnosko, the Greek word gnosko, is about a relationship. In the Old Testament, the same concept is used when over in the Old Testament it says that Cain knew his wife and she bore him a child. Let me ask you, is that about head knowledge? No, it's talking, it's describing an intimate and personal relationship. And the thing that it's saying here, the thing that we access and where we begin to connect with God's Spirit in our lives is that through an intimate and personal relationship with God, we open ourselves to God. And we begin to allow Him to work 
in our lives. Matthew 7, 21, uh, you know, it talks about this. It says this. It says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who just has knowledge and knows the right things to say will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. It's not talking about works. It's talking about that we have this intimate and personal relationship with God where we place him in the center of our lives in such a way that it changes who we are. It opens our life to him and to his spirit. So he says everything we need for living a life of godliness and peace is given to us as we grow in intimacy with God. That's what Peter is saying here. And so I ask you, do you love God or do you love just thoughts about God, ideas about God? Do you really love God? You know, it's interesting. That, you know what the great commandment is? The great commandment is not that you shall know the right things about God, but is that you shall love intimately the Lord your God. And then it describes what it means with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's what it means to love God. Not just knowing stuff about Him, but loving Him with everything you have, which means you open your life to Him in an unconditional way. Back to Second Peter, the last verse, verse 4. It says this in the first part of verse 4. It says, By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. It says, through all this, through this, through us having this equal standing with God as we accept Christ and, and His Spirit coming in and working in our lives and beginning to work in our lives in, in incredible ways through this intimate relationship with God, what it is is he, he grants to us His precious and very great promises. One of my concerns for me personally and for you as well, as for those of you who've been Christians very long, is that after a while, sometimes what happens to us is that God's promises get boring to us. That we just kind of like, just take them for granted. We've heard it so much. We've read it so much that it doesn't excite us anymore. When we read God's word, it doesn't excite us anymore. When we read the promises of God, like this morning when I read that first promise, that, that we have equal standing before God. If we're in Christ, we have equal standing with Peter, the walk on water guy, Paul the Damascus Road guy. I mean, all those incredible people, equal standing, which means we have equal access to the same Spirit. And He can work in us the same way that He worked in those people if we'll allow Him to work. I don't know about you, man. When I read that out, it just got me all excited again. That's just one promise. But so often what happens is we, we kind of go through the motions and we don't have an intimate and personal relationship with the, you know, it's like all of a sudden the father whispers in our ear and tells us something that we've known before, but all of a sudden we're reminded of again. And so Peter says, because of this, he's granted us precious, is precious and very great promises. And what's precious can become kind of just ho-hum to us. And it saddens me when the good news becomes old news. And in my life and in your life as well. Because when that happens, what happens is, is we get excited about other things that, that rise above our relationship with God. Things like our new job or things like our new house or things like what our kids are doing. Those are all not bad things, but they take second 
second best to, to who God is. When we have this intimate and personal, ongoing relationship with God that we can only have as the Spirit works in our life in a real way. And when that happens, something's wrong. It's a symptom of something wrong spiritually in our lives. Oh, this morning we sang an old hymn, uh, Come Thou Fount. Uh, but it reminded me of an old hymn that I used to sing when I grew up in a traditional church. And it was a song that, that really reminded me of this whole thing. It's, it's a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You all sing that before, some of you? You know, when I looked at that, it, it says this. Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, when you do that, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, this is what it says it'll do. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Incredible theology in that, in that song. It says this, that the moments when I am so, let's use a current term, tight with God, everything else seems to be unimportant or less important. And when you have this relationship right, everything else seems less significant in your life. Things that sometimes were so huge the day before when you get a relationship with God and focus on that, it becomes less important in your life. In the last part of verse 4, as we end this up, it says this, so that through them you may become these promises, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He says that through the promises of God, we become partakers of the divine nature. See, because when we're born, what kind of nature do we have? We have the divine nature or human nature. We have a human nature. And our human nature pulls us in a direction of the world's way. But it says now because of this intimate relationship with God, with God's Spirit working through us, God's promises opening to us, and Him beginning to allow us to live in a new way, what happens is, is we become partakers. doesn't mean we become God. We become partakers of the divine nature, which is the nature of living in a different realm. And God's Spirit can now work through us, and God can love through us in in a way that we couldn't love before, and we can live life at another level as His divine nature works through us. Unlike what happens in the world, we know so often we think that we're trapped in our sin, we can't get out, but this says that, no, we don't have to live that way anymore. God doesn't want us to live that way anymore. You know, you know how people get trapped by sin? It's kind of like a, a whirlpool or a vortex. And, and, and it's like, you know, you take your first drink and you're going like, okay, I'm just going to take my, you know, and, and you kind of like the buzz to get off that first drink. And you take another one and another one and another one and another one and you spiral down and down, and down in your life. And you didn't mean when you took that first drink to get there, down here, to become an alcoholic. But it's the way it starts. And it's the way it goes. That's, that's the downward pull. That's what it means, the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Or are you, are you let me give you another one. You know, lust. You, you see, see somebody and you're attracted to that person. You begin to look maybe at a, uh, you come across in your email or across on doing an internet search, you come across a site and you're going like, oh, you know, that's, I'm, you know, not going to look at that, but you kind of, it becomes, intrigues you and you begin to look at it more and more and more and more and it becomes an addiction. That's the downward pull of the corruption of our sinful nature. But the good news here is this, is you don't have to be trapped into that. 
Because it says that when the Holy Spirit lives in your life and you open your life to the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit lives within you, He gives, He lets you be partakers of the divine nature, which is not corrupted by this nature. You don't have to be trapped and enslaved by the sin that's in your life. See, God doesn't want us to live that way. But it only, we can only live that way by first allowing Christ to come into our life and have an equal standing with God with everybody else, not because of what you've done. You can't do good enough things to, to, to earn God. But God wants us in a real sense to understand that we can live life in a different way. I'm going to ask our band to come on out. Band, you can come on out wherever you are. And I want to share with you something this morning that's very important. You know, as I said before, it's not about knowledge, head knowledge of God that changes our life. It's about knowing God in an intimate and personal way. And you begin the journey of doing that when you say to God, I can't do it on my own. And I, what I want to do is I want to give myself to you, God, and I want to, you know, take that first step of accepting you as Lord and Savior. And I just want to use this analogy. I want to, some of you that are here today, some of you know that you don't know God. You know that you don't know God. You have some head knowledge. You've come to church. You've learned some stuff. But you don't have an intimate and personal relationship with him. But the good news is this, if you can know him and begin the process of knowing him, that intimate personal relationship today. And you can walk in here no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, or whether you've allowed your human nature to pull you and drag you down into something and spiral you down, you, you, don't, you can come here today in that situation and leave here with a new nature because of God's promises through His Son, Jesus Christ, what He's done upon a cross for you. And you can live life in a new way that you didn't live before. Where it's, you know, it's not like all of a sudden everything just doesn't become easy. But God's Spirit living in you allows you to begin to change some things. And as you build this relationship with God and spend time with Him, He begins to change who you are from the inside out. And begin, you begin to love people in a way that you could never love them before. Because it's not about you anymore. We're going to talk about that even more over the next three or four weeks. About how that happens in real ways, in tangible ways. How it changes next week, your relationship with your family. And then your, how you perceive your community. And then how we see the world. And as we look at that, it's the key is this, folks. This week is the key to this, what we're talking about. It begins in that personal, intimate relationship with Christ. It's not just about saying, oh, I just want to be really, you know, we can do some good things in the community. You know, I even thought about this. We can do church pretty well without the Holy Spirit. Because we've got lots, we've got lots of resources in America. But we can't impact the world like God wants us to unless the Holy Spirit works through us. Can't do it. I want us to be a church. I want to be a person. That I, every, I can't explain everything all the time. It had to be God. 
I don't want people to look at us and say, oh, Bill White's a great person or, you know, to name your names. I'm going to start naming names. You know, it's about God. God is working through that person. God is working through this church. And the only way you can describe it is that God did it. That's what God wants us to be. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.